Citizen Reporter number 373, 31st of March, 2011. idea of democracy was being taken over by a simplified economic model of human beings. And in the process, freedom was redefined to mean nothing more than the ability of individuals to get whatever they wanted. The view that the market was preferable to politics as a means of giving people exactly what they wanted. That notion, that notion, is a rather new idea. Or if you want, you can try and get a broader perspective or you can find people who are absolutely out of their minds or find people that are doing uh, incredibly uh, complex and interesting and urgent journalism. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. And for those of you who have been listeners for some years now, you'll remember uh, this voice. Uh, Today, we're talking about Ivory Coast and on the line... From uh, Abidjan, uh, it's uh, Pauline Box. Hi, Pauline. Hi, Mark. I was even hesitant to say that you're in Abidjan, which is, I guess, silly because you've been in Abidjan for years. Um, it, it, you know, we'll probably have to go back a little for those who are, aren't following, but um, uh, is it something that you're hesitant these days to say exactly where you are? Well, slightly. I mean, it's it's a bit hard to go out on the street and interview people today because of the uh, political crisis. People from both camps. Um, I probably have to explain a little bit of background, but the country is extremely yeah. polarized right now, and I've never seen it as polarized. So it almost feels like it's divided in two camps. One camp that supports the incumbent President Laurent Gbagbo, who uh, lost the elections in November, and the other camp is supporting Alassane Ouattara, who is a longtime opposition leader, and who, according to the UN and the US and the African Union, won the elections in November. And because of the polarization, people don't want to speak out on politics anymore. They're worried about people listening in on them. Um, they're worried to speak their minds, so they only do that when they're sure that they're among relatives or friends. And the same goes for me. If I, I go out on the street to you know, have a chit-chat with somebody in the, at the market, for example, people really, really stay away from uh, political issues at the moment. And I've never experienced Abidjan that, uh, that way, and it feels right quite uh, repressive. Who, who are the people that are the danger because here you are you just described yourself and the people who are afraid to talk politics so clearly those aren't the people that are uh going to uh, attack violently i suppose but who who are the people who are the ones that are dangerous uh for either side i mean uh, i would say uh, in abidjan i have to speak about abidjan because uh, it's a big city it's almost four million people and the city is very mixed you have some neighborhoods that are essentially pro watera and some neighborhoods are essentially pro bakbo but all in all you can say people live among each other and they've always uh, been sharing uh they've been sharing houses with each other and they've intermarried and all these things um right now uh, bakbo has a small group of fairly vocal and increasingly violent supporters 
who come from the student union here, uh, who say they are students, some are not actual students, but they say they are, and they can be, um, uh, they act like militias. So some of those go on the streets, they put up roadblocks and they search people who want to pass and they harass people who are of foreign origin. So that's mostly uh, people from Burkina Faso and from Mali. Uh, as you know, Ivory Coast is a very large immigrant population. Many people from Burkina Faso are actually born here, but they still have identity papers saying they are Burkinabe. And those people are being targeted by that small group of uh, militias, and that can come that can become pretty nasty. Um, we've seen uh, people having been burnt recently, burnt alive, or beaten to death, and then set on fire. Uh, this happens maybe 20 times or so. Human Rights Watch has uh, recorded and documented these cases. It also happened to some supporters of uh, Blackwell. They were set on mm -hmm. fire by supporters of. And these are all incidents that we never see before in Ivory Coast, this kind of violence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's really uh, uh, shocking, or more than that, very significant, is that, you know, you could have a disputed election where a population overall doesn't feel anything for either side, or at least not enough, you know, to, to take to the streets, to, to threaten somebody else. But in Ivory Coast, even, you know, even all these months later, people seem very committed, or enough people seem very committed to one side or the other to the point that they will uh, uh, take action against you. Yeah, but, but first of all, the elections uh, gave a lot of hope that they were finally held. So you have to take into account that Ivory Coast never really had democratic elections. Uh, it had a sort of a despot in power for more than 30 years. And these elections in November were the first elections in 10 years. And the first elections that were free and open in which all the opposition candidates could participate. So people were very optimistic and the country just came out of, you know, a long crisis that started when rebels invaded the north of the country in 2002. So already political economic crisis and things were finally looking up. Now, uh, a lot of supporters of Watara, um, Watara had been excluded from standing in elections uh, twice before. And this is the first time you can actually participate as a presidential candidate. So the supporters of Watara are very passionate that the man becomes president and he actually won the elections. Um, but people who support Bako uh, feel wronged in this way because they held hold Watara responsible for the civil war in 2002. And even if he has won the elections, they don't think he should be president because he doesn't deserve to be considering he's the person behind the economic and political crisis. So all those factors, you know, thrown into the mix have sort of added to the passion about the whole political debate here. And, you know, on top of that, the elections which were supposed to reunite the country have plunged the country into a crisis that Ivory Coast has never seen before. So people are extremely desperate and disappointed about the events that followed the elections. Hmm. Now, I remember during the Civil War, and you just touched on it, uh, sorry if I, if I missed it a little bit, if I make you repeat yourself, but it wasn't a, a, a very much a, a division, right? I remember the, that line, you crossed it once, or more than once, and I remember reading about it, North and South. Is, is just to, to repeat that point, if I missed it, Otara a North guy? Yeah, Otara is from the North. Um, 
He's from the north, and his father was probably Burkinabe, and which sort of means I mean, there was a whole legal debate about whether somebody with foreign origin or with foreign parents should be allowed to stand in the election. And this was often used yeah. as an excuse for him to not stand in the elections. Now, the invasion of the rebels in 2002 <laughs> has never really been solved or proven who was behind that. Uh, the rebels said they were unhappy with Bagbo because of the uh, elections in 2000, which they thought were unfair. They wanted to see new elections, and they tried to get rid of Bagbo, uh, but they didn't, um, they didn't manage to do so. They only seized the northern half of the country. Uh, the fighting wasn't that intense. It lasted a couple of months. Uh, an estimated 3,000 people died, so it wasn't a huge civil war or anything like that. And the... Rebels control, to this day, they control the north, but for a couple of years, people could just cross from north to south very easily, you know, without any major problems. And in the last few months, we've seen, uh, at first I would call it side-taking, but at some point it seems like nobody, uh, for example, the international community sides with Otara. The UN, is the UN still uh, standing outside of, I believe it's Otara's headquarters? Uh, yes, uh, Watar is uh, it's not really his headquarters, his head, official headquarters. Right. So what happened after the elections, um, the UN uh, was, had the role as a certifier of the elections, so there, they were there to help organize them and to check the results and all the tally sheets. And when all these came in and were counted, they could say, yes, Mr. So-and-so has won or lost. Now, according to them, uh, Mr. Watara won with 54% of the votes. And Bakpo said he didn't, um, he didn't accept that um, the election results and used a court here in Abidjan to annul parts of uh, the votes. And sure, shortly after, Watara went to a hotel with his, um, the people he works with, with his team, basically, also former President Henri Conan Bédier. And this hotel was soon surrounded by a military who are loyal to Bako. So he can't really get out of that hotel. He's been staying there ever since. He can only get out by helicopter. Hmm. And, and the UN, just to, just to sort of go over how they usually do things with observing, they could have said... If it was a bad election, you know, with, with filled with irregularities, they could have said no good in general, right? But they, in fact, said, no, it, it was good enough by their standards, and the winner is Otara. Well, like I said, they had all the, uh, they had all the results sheets, so they could check all the votes. Yeah. And even, they said, even taking into account uh, some fraud uh, in the north or in the south, or, you know, wherever you want, but even taking into account some annulment of votes or some possible fraud. The fraud wasn't to the extent that the election should be cancelled, and in fact it was largely free and fair. And the first round, 80% of the Ivorians came to vote, which is a huge number. And the elections were very, very costly. They've been prepared and delayed for, well, five years. So all the preparation was there, was very well organized, people went to vote, so all seemed to go very, very smoothly. And the UN stood by, um, their position that Watara has won, and they did it quite forcefully. But then, you know, a crisis happened, they found it increasingly hard to manage. And they're still there to this day. They have about 6,000 soldiers in, in Abidjan, but they are sometimes a bit overwhelmed by the events that are happening here. Yeah, and I know that the, I believe the ECOWAS has, has backed Otara. Who else? The African Union. I mean, who's, who's on the Bagbo side besides his and very important, of course, uh, local supporters within the country? 
Well, almost nobody, not in terms of the elections. I mean, you could say the entire world has said that uh, Watara has won because they've all reviewed the result sheets of the elections. And of course, they, uh, they trusted also what the UN said, considering the UN was here. The UN is always trying to be neutral. Um, so yeah, the, the whole world, except for Angola, which is a long-time ally of uh, Bagbo and the president of Gambia, who is not necessarily, you know, a model of democracy himself, <laughs> and support uh, <laughs> yeah, no. nor Angola for that matter. Yeah, yeah. any trends left. And neighboring Ghana has said it wants to stay neutral in the issue. It doesn't choose one side over the other. Yeah, um, and so. I mean, I've read a lot. I follow a lot of people on Twitter who are tweeting from Abidjan or different parts of, of uh, Ivory Coast. And, you know, I follow the evening uh, updates about where there's violence, if there is. Um, and I noticed that they, of course, want more international press attention uh, to the conflict. You've been working in the country for, where are we, like almost 10 years? Um, are, do you see a lot of foreign reporters where you are? Well, there were a lot of foreign reporters in December after the crisis developed when Bakbo refused to uh, accept the results of the elections and he got the army out on the streets, which was still loyal to him, and they very violently and bloodily repressed any attempt of the Watara supporters to gather and to demonstrate. So a lot of people were killed in December for no reason whatsoever, beaten to death, shot to death, you know, just trying to go to the streets and say, you know, they wanted Watara as president. Uh, and then a lot of supporters, uh, sorry, reporters came here. The thing about Ivory Coast is that um, often foreign journalists are sort of considered spies, especially when they're French. But they're considered you know, spying for the French government. And according to the Bagbo camp, Sarkozy of France is behind all this. So, you know, logically, French journalists are supporting Sarkozy, etc., etc. And there's not really a sense of, uh, you know, free, that the press should... The press should be free to report, to interview, you know, and to do what it normally does in other countries. You don't really have that sense here. And with this crisis, there's been a quite severe clampdown on the local journalists by the Bakko regime. And it even extends now to foreign journalists who are considered terrorists if they go out reporting all their lies and falsehoods, as the Bakko government says. But it's just an attempt to you know, to stay in power and to intimidate people, I think. And that's pretty nasty. How long can the situation stay the way it is now? Uh, in other words, both sides afford to both, I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about resources, I'm talking about energy, to, to stay at, the, at this crisis level that they're at. Well, that, that's an interesting question because it's a question that everybody here has been trying to answer. And in January, everybody thought, well, this can't last another two weeks. And the same thing in February, and now we're at the end of March, and it's still going on. So four months into the crisis, you have to imagine the economy is at a complete standstill. I mean, there's hardly any people on the street right now. People have absolutely no money. And one reason for that is that the banks have all closed for over a month. So we can't physically go to a bank machine because there are no bank machines to get your money out. Um, so that's uh, there's EU sanctions on the ports, so there's no uh, shipping movements whatsoever. Hardly any imports or exports going on right now. Um, so yeah, economic meltdown, you should say. How long can this last? Well, I don't really know because Africans can be incredibly resilient. You know, people survive and you wonder how 
they do it. But to be honest, it's not really sustainable because a lot of people uh, now eat one meal a day. They can't move around. People die because they can't get to hospital. And yeah, it's a really, really sad situation. And the saddest thing is that the election results were quite clear, you know. And four months into the crisis, despite all the international condemnations and all the, you know, everybody positioning and, and celebrating Batara and congratulating him as president, and basically after all this, the world is kind of looking the other way, and that's very tragic, I find. Indeed, and and I guess I mean what I'm about to say is is so unlikely, but still I imagine this this kind of world and this kind of strategy. Uh, it's unlikely. I guess it's almost impossible that say Otara says, "Listen, I know you, international community, and you, my people here in in Ivory Coast, uh, want me for the job, have elected me, but you know what? This isn't worth it." And what if he, I mean, it, I guess it just wouldn't happen, right? I mean, it's some kind of, uh, not just a pride thing, it's a, uh, I owe it to my people. I, I would almost be uh, interested if, if there were a different strategy, an unexpected move, as opposed to, you know, pursuing some kind of violence or resistance, one of, I'm stepping back from this situation. Not going to happen. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen because uh, even though Watera um, appears to be, you know, a very good technocrat and he could probably be quite a good leader for Ivory Coast, he's been wanting to be president for years. I mean, the first time he made it known was in 1993. It was excluded from elections in 1995. And all throughout that time, you know, he wanted to be uh, a presidential candidate one way or the other. And he's never... In other situations where he also could have done the same thing, stepped aside and say, well, if I'm so controversial because of my origins, you know, my supposedly foreign origins, I put somebody else in place who's a real Ivorian, you know, and I step, you know, if this is such a divisive issue, I can step aside. He's never done so, and I don't, don't expect him to do so now. Uh, should you blame him for that? I don't really know. Uh, on the one hand, he can say, yeah, it would be a very statesman-like thing to do. And on the other hand, he would massively disappoint all the people that voted for him, which is, you know, a majority of the population. And they've put great hopes in him. Should he step aside now? You know, I'm not sure if he can let them down this way. So that's a tricky situation. Yeah. But um, I have heard, you know, some people who voted for, for Babbo, uh I'm so disappointed with what's happening now. And I've heard some people say, you know, let, why can't we just get rid of both of them, Barbo as well as yeah. and have some kind of military coup and have a completely neutral civilian government who gets the country back on track and just get rid of all these politicians because they're completely spoiling the country. Uh, so I don't say a military coup is a very great idea, but, you know, you see people are now so, so sick and tired of politics that, you know, they don't really care anymore who's leading the country as long as it gets back on track. Yeah, I don't want to oversimplify, but um, are we are we talking about three forces? In fact, the the Bagbo camp, the the Otara camp, and indeed the people who you mentioned right from the beginning, the people who don't want to talk about politics, who don't want, who are not only tired of it but maybe afraid of all of it. Um, is it is it split in three at this point? No, I think that's oversimplifying the issue. Uh, yeah, of course. Lots of people are confused <laughs> about what a good solution would be. Uh, and the army is said to be about 60% on Watara's side. Uh, they just haven't wow. really declared his loyalty uh, to him. I mean, he does have quite large support base, and well, so does Bakbo, of course. But Bakbo has been in power for 
you know, 10 years and he hasn't really done very much for the country at all. So, you know, logically, some people say, well, it's time that he goes and, you know, moves out for somebody else who can now get a chance. If this guy feels we have elections, we do the whole thing again. Um, I don't think, the, I, I really think it's more two camps. So the Bakro camp and the Watara camp, uh, how passionate they are both. It really depends on the region where you are and the people you speak to. So, uh, no, I'm talking about polarization, yeah. Yeah. And we we started today, I want to go back to where we started and maybe end with that. You started today talking about uh, movement, uh, I I think, near to you, near to Abidjan, uh, on the rebel side. Um, Is it a situation the past, say, month even, where every day something is changing, or is it, in fact, very much a stalemate where nothing much changes day to day and... Mm. No, it was a stalemate for about three months. Um, the Watara camp said that they really believed in a diplomatic solution, and they hoped that financial and economic sanctions would make Bako change his mind. So if he wouldn't have access to money anymore, he would maybe just step down gracefully and you know take a dignified exit. It has been offered to him, for example, by the United States, said to Bako, well, you know, if you step down, we'll offer you a job in the US, we'll give you money, you can take your people with you and we won't bother you with any international court or whatever. Uh, Bagbo refused to do so. So he's uh, increasingly entrenched in the whole uh, thing. And okay, now I'm going back to your question. I was thinking, what was the question? <laughs> well, the question is, uh, no, what about yeah. those the diplomatic, I hope that the, the diplomacy and maybe military intervention from West African countries who would, you know, solve the issue. Now, nobody's going to intervene, uh, and the diplomatic issues have all, uh, diplomatic options have all miserably failed. Everybody knew that from the start, but they tried it anyway, nothing wrong with that. And now, finally, the rebels who control the North have said, okay, we had enough, and we're going to march towards Abidjan, and they launched an offensive that started actually two days ago, and now they've already taken uh, three major towns, and it looks like they're trying to make their way here. And, you know, they're ending quite some serious fighting in Abidjan. Um, but uh, I think the Watara camp has said, well, you know, we're just going to have to solve the issue by ourselves because nobody else is going to help us. And unfortunately, that's the military option. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've avoided asking you too many personal things uh, as I normally like to about working as a journalist in Ivory Coast. Um, I won't at <laughs> uh, this time. You can um, ask me one but is there a question if you want. I can give you some ideas. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, actually, never mind me asking. Say something about your work these days that you can say as compared to all these years. Obviously, I think safety on the street you mentioned. Uh, how different is it these days doing the reporting that you're doing? And you're writing probably more than you have in a long time, being being asked constantly. Yeah, well, the thing is here, uh, one problem uh, with the security forces, they are called the security forces are... Uh, have so far been loyal to to Bakwell and the security forces are often people you can't really depend on and you never know sort of who you're gonna run into and what we've seen in years of calm when nothing really happened the police here normally puts up roadblocks stops uh, uh, stops cars and asks for the papers and if they can find a reason to extort some money from you they definitely will do that and so these are people if you get into trouble on on them to come and save you. And that makes it difficult for journalists because they 
they don't really know if something happens, who they can ask. Now, Pauline, hold on a second, because the connection just suddenly broke down, although your point did come across that, that uh, you're talking about security there? forces. Yeah, I, I'm here. It just it broke up a little bit, but I think people understood there that you were saying um, yeah. the police that have set up the roadblocks, you can't necessarily, you can't tell who you yeah. can trust or to do their job. Um, I don't know if the connection is going to fail us completely, but um, obviously that's a, a big part of, of why you, uh, you're staying indoors for the most part, or at least as often as possible, yeah. I imagine. Okay, well, the thing is, it's suspicious of foreign journalists, and some of my colleagues have been uh, uh, surrounded by quite aggressive so most journalists who live there and uh, do most of their own so they call people that they know as a source and that's the way we get our information together and we can still go out on the streets but we don't go around saying we're journalists yeah so it's interesting how it's become very much about, as, as it often is in terms of telecommunications, I think, in that part of the world. It's very much about the mobile phone and people, uh, networks of people calling each other. Um, yeah. Pauline, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up both because I know you're very busy and because our connection is, is betraying us now. But I think uh, people very much appreciate the update. Yeah. I know I do. Right. And... Um, uh, I don't know if you want to give out any link to uh, your work. I can dig up the, the Dutch work, of course. Um, I do have a link to your blog, if I can still share it, um, if that's all right with you. I don't know if you're updating it much these days. Yeah, I, I haven't had much time to update it, to be honest. And I'm, it's so much ivory coast these days. It's, you know, I'm working on a political situation the entire day. So, yeah, mostly what I do for Bloomberg, for example, you find on uh, whatever way you want okay okay pauline i'm gonna let you go uh it's on a personal note it's really good to hear your voice and uh always interesting to to hear what you're up to and you know um um try to find the, the good moments uh, as i'm sure sometimes it's difficult and we will for sure mm -hmm. speak soon okay all right okay thank You've been listening to CitizenReporter.org, the podcast that focuses on underreported news and global concerns. And another big thank you to Pauline, who, of course, has been on this show several times since we first started in 2004. And I wanted to bring some final notes, uh, specifically that today, the 31st of March, this afternoon... Uh, there are already changes, developments in the situation in Ivory Coast. It's not clear yet what the big changes are. They, there are reports of French troops in Abidjan, but none of this is properly confirmed, so uh, let's wait before we actually say what's going on. It's just uh, to point out that things are changing even as I record this, and I am usually not the podcast trying to do breaking news. I prefer details and uh, looking behind the stories. But there you have it. Sometimes these things happen. If you'd like more information, citizenreporter.org is the website. Uh, there's background information. There's links to Pauline's work. And, of course, on Twitter, you can follow me under the my old moniker, Bicycle Mark with a K. Uh, that does it for this program. Speak to you again very soon. Thanks for listening, and feel free to either donate or flatter me. Go to the website for more information. See ya. Oh, so guide my spirits from fire.
Let's go. 